Would you like a piece of cheese? Oh, come on. You can have a small piece. It's good. It's good for you. Hmm? A little piece? Just one? Everybody likes food, right? Who doesn't like food? It's really nice cheese. Firm, golden texture, slightly pungent, nutty aroma. Can you smell those overtones of oak and pear? The joy of cooking, the pleasures of fine dining. You know what they say, uno repasso senza cheese. Huh? You never heard that? It means a meal without cheese is like a beautiful woman with only one eye. <laughs> Come on, have a piece of cheese. This is Hearing Voices, the best in public radio from NPR. With support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, I'm Larry Massett. That's the problem. It's not like it's stale. It's not like I found it in the gutter. As a matter of fact, this is very expensive cheese. Grab your fork. Get ready for Food Fight, the dark side of the muffin. Look, we're not leaving here till you eat the cheese, okay? Just pick it up, put it in your mouth, and we're done. Just do it. It's easy. Come on, for crying out loud, eat it. Eat the damn cheese. All right, all right, all right. That was Carolyn Hopewell in the web series Chesty Morgan's Forbidden Love, which you can find at hearingvoices.com. Now we offer a Chinese recipe for carp. This is not an ancient Chinese recipe. Matter of fact, it's quite specific to the year 1989, the year of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. It's not easy to clean a 10-pound carp. The scales go from the size of a penny to the size of a quarter. Nature has glued them onto the fish with real determination. This is the hardest part. While you're trying to clean the fish, you can send somebody out to get the other ingredients. You'll need soy sauce, garlic, green onions, scallions, a rice cooking wine, vinegar, sugar, and a Chinese cook. Mine is Mr. Yan Ching. He has spent the last two weeks trying to catch this fish in the river by my house. He says it makes him think of the picture postcards that are sold in China during the spring festival. This one picture is very famous. I haven't seen it for years and years. There was a little boy, and uh, he is half naked, you know, just you know, only wear a skirt. And a very fat boy was holding a big carp, which means uh, the next year it should be uh, become a, uh, a bumper harvest and have a, a good year, you know, just because uh, the word fish in Chinese is called yu. Yu means uh, more. You know, means next year you're going to have some more, you know, good money and more money and more food, you know. Right now, Mr. Yen is not having such a good year. He's just finished going to school in this country. He turned up at my house one night last month, carrying a 20-pound bag of jasmine rice, three dozen eggs, spices, some ground pork, and about 30 bananas. He says he needs a place to hole up while he figures out how to get out of going back to China. The bananas are a mystery. But Yen is a good cook. Okay, this carp is too big, so I have to cut it in the, because we don't have a big uh, frying pan, right? Yen says the students never meant to overthrow the government, just reform it. They never thought there'd be so much trouble. And because uh, the carp is wet, and this is better to uh, coat it with some uh, flour, so then when you fry it, it won't stick on the, on the frying pan. You can use egg white instead of flour. Or if you get the fish really dry, Yen says you can just add some ginger to the oil and not coat the fish at all. Anyhow, you should now be heating a pan with enough oil in it to deep fry the carp. The oil shouldn't be too hot. If it's too hot, then the outside will get burned and inside is still not cooked. Just fry it and not too hot. And maybe 10 minutes or so, I don't know exactly. It depends on the size of the carp. At times... Yen will say that if the students could only get some guns, but then, no, it wouldn't be enough, then maybe, he says, someone from the army will step forward when Deng Xiaoping dies. I don't like to see a civil war in the country, you know, in China. It would be terrible for the country. But that may be the only way out for, to save China. I don't know. The fish is done when it turns brown. You pour off the oil and get busy on the sauce. At heart, a sweet and sour sauce is just vinegar and sugar, thickened with cornstarch, but Yen's formula is a little more complicated. First, uh, put some uh, 
soy sauce if you like it. You know, just okay, put the soy sauce in, and also uh, put some vin vinegar, kind of a white vinegar, maybe better. Then put some uh, cooking wine. Since this is I bought from the Chinatown, it's called the uh, Guangdong rice wine. Okay, it's a cooking wine, and uh, then the next part is to cut the uh, the green onion. Put into the wind, the, uh, the bowl there, and also don't forget to add the uh, sugar. You know, if you want to uh, make sweet and sour. Okay. Now next is the uh, garlic, and you can you can cut it into small pieces. You know. Okay. And for ginger, maybe just you know small little bit and you cut it into small pieces, and all mix them together. If it's too salty, then you put some uh, more sugar. Okay. If it's if you feel it's not tasty, then you try to figure out what's wrong there. When you're ready, add some water to the carp, pour in the sauce, and let it simmer till it's done. I miss my friends and my parents and my brothers and sisters, and it's terrible. Even in China, well. We don't say that party didn't do any good things. People have relatively, you know, enough food to eat and clothes and also a place to live. But the party made a very silly mistake. They killed the people. I couldn't believe it. I feel so disappointed. You can tell the sauce is done when it begins to stick to the crust of the carp. Okay, that's it. I have a taste. <laughs> the taste is fine with me. I don't like fish anyhow. It depends on what you're used to. Yen says that a year from now, two years, five at the most, it will be too late for him to go home. Like most of the overseas students, he will have settled in a foreign country, and for them, there will be nothing left of China but the food. But how about the bananas? I said. You don't cook with them. What are we doing with thirty bananas? Well, Yen shrugs. Goodbye. Only fourteen cents a pound. So what? I say. They're turning rotten. We can't eat them. Yes, we can. He says. And this, I think, is what makes him a great Chinese cook. Food, he says, is a part of life. If it doesn't turn out so good, just hold your nose. That was 1989. That recipe. Four or five years later, Mr. Yunqing did go back to China. After all, I heard things went well. I didn't see him again till the fall of 2008, when he came buzzing through town on a business trip. Now vice president of an international corporation, he had a BlackBerry, a driver, an entourage, and he told me he owned not one, not two, not three, not four, but five houses. Fantastic. Of course, this was just before the bubble burst. So, who knows? You're listening to Food Fight from Hearing Voices. Next, a young Palestinian American by the name of Samer Taya, A.K.A. Rocky Taya. He was 15 years old when he recorded the piece you're about to hear. 15 and locked in a big fight with food. You need a sense of humor in order to survive in my family, because my family jokes a lot. What's what are some of the jokes you say to me? You have a belly button size of an ozone layer. <laughs> a turtle could chase you. <laughs> a turtle could chase me. So let me stop right now. I want you to stop making fun of me. There are eight kids in my family, plus my parents. Half of us are overweight, but nobody is nearly as big as me. One day, I decided to record what a normal day of eating is like for me. Uh, this is Rocky. Uh, I'm at the bowl with the cheese. It's two o five. There's only one piece of cheese in there. I taste the piece. It tastes really good, so I want much more. I'm ready to eat my cheese. When I'm really hungry, I usually eat whatever is quick to make, and usually the food that's quick to make is quick to eat. Nice four pieces of cheese, which means I can eat more. And there's extra eggs on the table, so I'm gonna eat that with my cheese. When I was having breakfast, my grandmother and my oldest sister Sinat were in the kitchen with me. <laughs> 
I just finished my eggs and cheese, and now I'm going to drink a 12 ounce can of orange soda. Egg and cheese and water and juice. And cereal. What are you doing? You are, you are, you fat blimp. I want to show them how much you eat. That's what I'm doing this for, you moron. You're not that skinny yourself. <laughs> yeah, you weigh 100 and 200 and what pounds? Everybody quiet! It gets really frustrating when I feel ganged up on. But the truth is the truth. I do weigh a lot, especially compared to my um, twin. We're going to go weigh ourselves, Samia? Do you want to go weigh ourselves? Yes, let's go heavy up. We're going to go eat again. 156, because I just ate. How much do you think I weigh? I think you weigh 420. Yeah, but it's not going to weigh it. So then it's going to say error. What does it say? Error, holy shoot, it does say error. Error is my weight. Oh my god, it does say error. You feel good about yourself? Man, error, error, error. Think about a joke, think about a joke. (laughs) You're bony, you're skinny, you're ugly. Man, you weigh an error amount. (laughs) Even the scale at the doctor's office doesn't go up to my weight. So if I want to weigh myself, I have to go down the block to the pharmacy. I'm going to put a quarter in. And pay money. It says your computerized weight is 393.7 pounds. Then it says find out what your future holds. Press your horoscope sign. People write down the future for me all the time. Once I went to see this nutritionist for a checkup, I swear she was like the size of a pencil, and yet she dared to tell me all the things about my weight and what problems she thinks I'm going through. She doesn't know me, but she tells me you're going to die if you keep putting on weight. She told me that my knees are going to break, that my hips are going to crack, and all this other junk that I put in through one ear and right out of the other. But when my family and people I love tell me the same thing, I listen to them. They say if I just continue getting bigger and bigger, I'm going to have blood problems, joint problems, I'm going to catch a heart attack, and eventually, I'm going to die. Okay, what is your name? Abe Taya. What is your relationship to me? Your dad, of course. Okay, what do you think about my weight? Well, your weight is a little too much for you, Rock, because if you get my age, you're going to see how hard it is to lose one pound. You're going to wish you lost weight when you're young because if you start to walk a lot and get into sports and pay more attention to you, Rock, you're going to trim up a lot. You understand, Rock? Is my weight a problem for you? No, no, no. I, I, I love you what you are. It doesn't matter weight or no weight. I just worry about you because I'm not here forever. You know, you're, doing, you, you're heavyweight while we live, and imagine when we die, you're going to be more heavier. We want you to realize it, that you have to lose all that heavyweight and love yourself because you're a very handsome fella, very smart, and that's what my main problem is. I worry about you every day, Rock. Uh, of course, you're my son, and I love you forever. I really don't get myself... I know my parents feel sad for me. Who wouldn't? I'm the fattest kid in my house. I'm the fattest person on my block. I'm the fattest teenager I know. My mom tried to put me on those Tybo videos. Now give me some! I put my sweatpants on and started stretching. Turned on the video, saw the guy doing backflips and thought, you must be kidding me. I started moving my hands, turned off the video, sat down, and started watching TV. 15-minute workout, more like a 15-minute heart attack. Samia thinks I can put more effort into trying to lose weight. Samia, I want to know, my question to you is, why do you make fun of me, and do you think it's funny making fun of me? Because it makes me laugh, and you're fat, man. Get out. Yes, I'm fat, but do you know, I don't want to be fat. If I had a choice, I would. I swear to God, I would want to... But no, no, that's incorrect. You have a choice to lose weight. Just now, you ate a pint of ice cream. Is that necessary? Did I really... You took 10 crab legs from the store. Is that necessary? Did I really do that, Samuel? I swear to Allah. I ate a pint of ice cream just now. You ate a pint of ice cream, strawberry ice cream. Just now? Yesterday night. Yesterday night, Samuel? It was... Yesterday, you ate three bowls of cereal. It was not strawberry ice cream. It was fudge ice cream. If you're fat, you have to have something good about you. Like, oh, he wears nice clothes. You could probably dress ugly if you were skinny, and no one would say anything about it. I wear baggy name-brand clothes like Burberry and Ralph Lauren, a big silver chain that says God in Arabic, 
a do-rag and a baseball cap over that. It makes me unique, this time in a good way. My weight is really not that much of a problem for me at school. I join school activities, hang out with my friends, and I am a peer mediator. I probably have more friends if I was skinnier, but mostly people at school don't tease me because they fear me. They don't know what a big person like me might do to them. But when I come home from school and sit down, my parents are on my case. My mother's always encouraging me and pushing me to try to lose weight. You think I'm big because of what? Because uh, you look like a pig. You eat like a pig. I eat sometimes because of depression, like when I get too much homework or like when I have too much pressure. Teenagers, it's common. Every teenager has pure pressure. Hey, eat healthy food. You don't have to eat candy and sugar and soda and uh, and hide in the ice cream in the refrigerator. It's Come on, for God's sake, man. Come on, we have to put a lock on the refrigerator now. I'm tired of seeing my mom crying, begging me to lose weight. I'm scared my obesity is going to cause her health problems. For all the stress I am probably causing her by lying to her, telling her that I'm going to change my ways and start to lose weight, and then nothing really happens. My mom is starting to get tired of my lies, but she never gives up hope. Hey, this is Rocky. It's Wednesday morning, 10.52, and I'm with my mom sitting in the living room. Yesterday, I decided that I'm going to go on a diet. Hey, Mom, what was the deal? The deal is to make yeah. you lose weight, give you $1,000 every 30 pounds. First, 30 pounds, 1,000. Second, 30 pounds, 1,500. Are you serious? I swear to God. Okay. Do you think that's going to help me lose weight? I'm hoping to God. Do I have any time limits to lose the weight? Start it from now. It's not like, Rocky, you lose 30 pounds, you could do it by the next three years. No, 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 no. This year. Okay. Anything else? You can do it. Trust me, you can do it. We're all looking for that day for you to lose weight. You make everybody happy, just lose weight. You make it easier for my life. Every night I go to sleep thinking about your weight. They're making me very depressed. Anything else? That's it. I love you. I love you too. Hey, this is Rocky. I'm in my bedroom. So I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can prove to her and I can get that money. So while at work, I decided I needed something that I can write and look at that would help me to defeat my biggest obstacle, which is buying candy and junk food. So I wrote down this thing and I'm going to duct tape it on my wall, on my shelf. It says what I am now. And what I will be if I don't change. I'm fat, ugly, huge, sweaty, slob, monster, big for nothing, no good. Food has my life, nothing to live for. And here's another sheet. Um, I wrote this to give me some sort of my hope to God goal. It says what I wish I could be. Skinny, cute, loved by everyone, accepted everywhere, high self-esteem, high confidence, more friends, comfortable, cool, happy about me, no more self-shame, love me, love life, love my body, abs, no no flubber, no fat, no extra skin, no stretch marks. I actually feel proud while doing this. Makes me happy. What would it take for me to lose weight, do you think? I swear to God. Yes. Just sew your mouth together with a big Nero threat. <laughs> hey, what happened to the loving mother? Go on the diet, Rocky. So tomorrow we're going to go on the Hollywood diet? Yes, Rocky. If you're willing to go, Rocky. I'm going to really try my hardest. Okay, my hardest? What's my hardest? My hardest. My best. My best. Okay. From a 1 to 10, how good do you think I'll do? If you put your mind to it, you do a 10. That's it. No, that's it. Just get on my face. You're the best. Okay, just get on my face. When you lose weight, I'll tell you the best. Hey, this is Rocky. I'm waiting for my food. It's about done. I guess I'm never going to be the best. Remember the sheet of words I put on my door? Well, my sister Sammy thought it was a joke. And she started laughing. Pretty soon, I thought it was a joke too. And I took it down. Five, four, three, two, one. It was just messing up my shelf. It was another bullcrap thing that didn't work. It's a large amount of turkey with gravy and mashed potatoes. The best time when I feel so happy about eating is when I'm all alone. 
watching TV. Just me. Nobody looking at me. I can lie and say I didn't eat that. It's kind of like my own world. I'm going to sit down and watch TV with it. Hopefully, be happy. Oh, everybody left, so it's just me in the house. Hey. Do you make fun of me? I make. I try the nice way for you. I always try the nice way. It doesn't work. I try the bad way. It doesn't work. I give up. I just call you a fat boy. Do you think it bothers me? Of course it does. I know it does. Trust me, it does. That's not true. It doesn't bother me. If it doesn't bother you, it never asks me twice. When I'm in a really happy mood, the jokes don't get to me. I just let them motivate me to try to lose weight. But then when I'm sad, the jokes get to me and make me sadder. When it's jokes like you have no kneecaps, ha ha ha, it's funny. But when it's jokes like Rocky, come on, who's going to marry you? Or Rocky, look at you? That makes me mad. It makes me want to eat more. All right, this is Rocky. It's 1.40 a.m. I wasn't planning to put my recorder on, but I am. Because um, this is what I call the mood. <laughs> Sounds funny, I know. So I'm sitting all alone by myself, no one around me. That's what that's what's happening now. No one's around me. I talk to myself. I think about my life. I just get depressed. I want to be skinny so bad. I know that would make a world of difference for me. Oh, I know so much. How that would make everybody happy. Why can't I just say no? No. See, right right now, I want to eat. Oh, wow. I just thought of an ice cream in the refrigerator that I saved yesterday. See, now I bet you $5 I'm going to eat that ice cream eventually tonight. I'm going to try not to. I don't want to eat. I'm not going to eat. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to eat. Rocky Taya for WNYC's Radio Rookies. The website is RadioRookies.org. We're going to take a little break now so you can grab a bite to eat. Hearing Voices will be right back with the rest of Rocky's story. Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people, and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. From NPR... This is HearingVoices.com. Welcome back to Food Fight, the dark side of the muffin on Hearing Voices. We've been listening to Rocky Taya's struggle with food. The kid just can't seem to stop eating. He did figure out a way to stop gaining weight, however... Word of warning here, you yourself do not want to be eating while you listen to this. When I was 11 years old, I made a promise I couldn't keep. I was on vacation at my uncle's house, and after a fun day of swimming, with my shirt on, of course, I went into the bathroom and nervously stepped on the scale. 200 pounds. So I swore to Allah, something you're not supposed to do in the bathroom, that I wouldn't get any fatter. But I could never slam the door on food. My comfort for life. My best friend in chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. You have a choice to lose weight. Just now, you ate a pint of ice cream. Is that necessary? I ate a pint of ice cream just you now. You ate a pint of ice cream, strawberry ice cream. That's my twin sister and me. Just now. I recorded it when I was 15 for my first radio story. Yesterday, you ate three bowls of cereal. It was not strawberry ice cream. It was, it was fudge ice cream. The night before my story aired, I thought everyone was just going to hear me as a fat, sad complainer who really didn't want to lose weight. This message is for Rocky. But so many people wrote in, and I didn't feel alone anymore. Despite being a Jewish anorexic, I identified... That means having healthy munchies around, you know, raisins, fruit. If Rocky wants to ask me about it, tell him to feel free to email me or call me. Unbelievable. I went from hiding my problems to telling millions of strangers. On the Jane Pauley Show. And when the Jane Pauley Show came knocking, I was fatter than ever. 
My name is Rocky. I'm 16. There I was, in soft focus, with what seemed like my only friends in the world, my cat Simba, and of course, the refrigerator. I need to lose weight or I'm going to die. I was on the show with the whole panel of fat kids. Rachel is so young. The girl sitting next to me was scheduled to have a new type of weight loss surgery. The lap band, an inflatable ring around the top part of your stomach. Way, way, way too big. Her surgeon, Dr. George Fielding, told us that diet and exercise for morbidly obese people, like me, is just hopeless. And her realistic chances of losing that weight, is, it's effectively zero. For a year, those words kept on repeating over and over in my head, like a nonstop washing machine getting louder and louder. I always knew surgery was an option. I just thought of it as a last resort, like for people who are so fat they can't even move. And I wasn't at that point. By my last year of high school, I was 300 pounds overweight, 300 reasons for my mom to be angry and concerned. I want to see you outside, hang out, have friends, have a life. I don't have a life? Not like your brothers, no. But don't make it seem like I'm just a caveman. But you're not doing nothing, and every week you gain weight. I'm not doing nothing? Nothing. Don't you think dealing with my weight mentally is exhausting? You're not doing nothing. I'm dealing with it in my head. Is your head helping you? No. Let's make it clear. I wasn't just a fat boy sitting in the corner looking depressed. (laughs) At school, I made people know me for more than just a kid who wore a size 64 pants. Am I funny? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, you're funny. So shouldn't that overshadow my size? Nothing can overshadow your size. Just like nothing could overshadow your bad grades. (laughs) No, really, come on. But I had bigger problems than just coming up with good, quick insults. I had to request an elevator pass to get me up two flights of stairs and a special desk in each of my classrooms. I weighed 517 pounds. So I made a decision to have surgery and save my life. My brother and sister told me I was taking the easy way out. You don't even take gym class. I do take gym class. No, you don't. Don't lie. I'm medically excused from gym. Oh, see? You put no effort into it. It's again with my theory. Do you not wake up in the morning eating a Hershey bar or something? That's issues right there. That's something you have to control in yourself. Hello, hello. I know I have a weight problem. My solution to my weight problem is surgery. No. No. My dad told me I wasn't allowed to have the surgery. He thought I should just go to the gym. But in my family, if dad says no, you convince mom. And then, of course, keep it a secret. Your father doesn't know. No, no we, we fill up the closet with SlimFast. We yeah. tell him you're on SlimFast. <laughs> hey, this is Rocky. It's Sunday night and the day before my surgery. Before I could finally have the operation, it's I had hard. to go on a two-week low-calorie liquid diet. I've just been sleeping every day just to get through the day without food. And it's just... It's sad to see how strong food has a control over me. But I can do it. I'm ready to say goodbye to food. It's going to kill me if I don't say goodbye. What are we doing today? Uh, you're doing your surgery? That's my mom and me at the hospital. How do you feel? Scared. What are you afraid of? God forbid if something happened to you, that's why. That's why I couldn't even look at you. I said, oh my God, if I have something happen to him, what am I going to do with my life? It was finally time. I put on a blue gown and went into a small room to wait. Wait for my name to be called. Wait for my new life to begin. It's 11.57, April 10th, the day of my surgery. I had the surgery. I want to cry, but it's going to hurt if I cry. I can't wait to see what my new life has to in store for me. I can't wait. It's Sunday and I'm in my bathroom. My dad just called me down to eat because my mom made dinner for him. So he's calling me down to eat now and I'm so f***ing scared because I can't eat that much. But I'm going down. I ended up telling my dad right after dinner. I couldn't hold back anymore. He was surprisingly calm. Even I don't agree with it, I'm still going to support you. And weeks later, he was teasing me about the lap band. Get ready, big boy. Get that belly. 
Get that rubber band open. You got a lot of lobsters to eat. Months after surgery, I was already trying to push the lap band to the limit. First with Pringles, then with Chinese food. My Saturday night dates with TV and food continued. The lap band controlled how much I ate, but it didn't control why I ate. So what do I do when I'm sad, frustrated, or bored? I feel really full. My body's telling me no, but my mind is telling me yeah. I have to learn to accept it or I'm just going to keep on throwing up and throwing up and throwing up. There comes the soup. I definitely ate too much. I'm hovering over this thing because I know it's coming out. And there goes my dinner. Back into the sink. This was it. I thought I found a secret loophole. A way to still eat my emotions away and lose weight. I didn't think there was anything wrong with throwing up. I went to Dunkin' Donuts to buy like a case of these Dunkin' Donut cups. So when I throw up, I could just throw it up in these cups and then throw the cups away. But then a nutritionist in my surgeon's office told me the lap band could slip and would have to be removed, and that I might destroy my esophagus. See you later, hero sandwich. Hello, pumpkin spice latte with half and half. I know I'm supposed to avoid liquid calories, but that's the only thing that can make me feel happy and not make me throw up. And even with my daily trips to Starbucks, I managed to lose 200 pounds in one year. Are you excited? The last time my friend Letitia saw me, I was huge. We used to hang out. People used to look at us like, why is that pretty skinny girl with him? The train was the worst. Oh, yeah. With the boys. Remember when that movie came out and that boy was calling you Fat Albert? He was? Yes, Sam. When? There was a hey, hey, hey. Reactions have changed. Letitia even says people are looking at us like we're a couple. This is a new person, and I look so good. But Letitia thinks my weight is the only thing different. Why do you think because you're skinnier you look good? To me, you look good before. Oh, don't lie. Don't I look so much better now? You look better. You look better, but you're still the same person. But I'm not. I'm not Rocky anymore. I wish this me could have told huge monster Rocky... Just how better life is, how much more fun life is, how alive I feel. I do want to figure out why I got so big. And I still eat to feel good, like when I'm bored or I can't express how I feel. My body is marked with scars and extra skin, reminding me every day just how big I was. But even now, with another 100 pounds to lose, when I'm walking down the street, I feel like I'm flying like the wind is pushing me along. And when I see little fat kids, I want to wake them up and tell them before it's too late just how hard life is for a fat teenager so they won't have to grow up to be like me with a band around their stomach. For WNYC, I'm rookie reporter Samer Rocky Taya. Rocky Taya's story was produced by Kari Pitkin, edited by Marianne McCune and Karen Michelle for Radio Rookies, org
You're listening to Food Fight, the dark side of the muffin, from Hearing Voices. The music you're listening to is a remix of Shortening Bread from Clothesline Revival. Shortening Bread? Who doesn't like Shortening Bread? What poet Todd Colby wants, though, is some cake. I'm so full of cake. If I ate any more cake, I'd have to vomit first. Sometimes I'll eat two or three cakes in a single day. I love cake. I can't be any clearer than that. I love cake. I'll eat every cake in New York City. I can't even go into bakeries anymore because I'll eat all the cake. I'll say, where's the cake? Give me the cake. Get the cake. And they say, we know how very much you love cake. And we know that you rarely have the money for any of our cake. So get out of here because you can't afford our cake. But we know how much you love cake. So get out of here. You can't afford the cake. I'll punch somebody in the head for some cake. Give me all your cake. I love cake. Give me the cake now. I love it. I love cake. Give me your cake. (laughs) Some years ago, when Davian Nelson and Nikki Silva, the Kitchen Sisters, teamed up with Jay Allison to produce their Hidden Kitchen series, The Folklore of American Cooking, they invited listeners to call in with their own recipes and stories, and sure enough, people did. Message 24 was received at 7 a.m. today. My name is Arissa Arend. I live in New Orleans. I have a friend who created the most amazing kitchen. His name is Robert King Wilkerson. He was in prison at Angola State Penitentiary for 31 years. 29 of those years, he was in solitary confinement. He was a Black Panther, started a chapter of the Black Panther Party with two of his friends. They've sort of become a cause celeb known as the Angola Three. Somehow, in solitary confinement, he managed to create a kitchen, and he made pralines, which we love here in New Orleans. He's out now. They decided they had made a mistake for locking him up for so long. He had a new trial, and he sells his candies that he calls freelines, and they are really, really good. I was fascinated with sugar. I used to watch Mama make candy with pecans and sugar and water. But it wasn't until uh, some years later, when I first went to prison, I was cooking in the kitchen. This guy was in the bakery. He could bake all kinds of pastries, make all kinds of candy. I was fascinated with the candy. What I saw before my eyes was like a science being revealed. My name is Robert King Wilson. We used to get milk practically every day, or butter and sugar. They would put it on your tray whether you drank coffee or not. So I used to get the guys to save the sugar. Sometime I was fortunate enough to get pecans. They got a lot of pecan trees around Angola. And they had some officers, once they tasted candy, making sure I had pecans. <laughs> we would bribe the orderly. Sometimes you'd get a fruit can, peach can, but most of the time it was Coke cans. They were easy to get. Just peel the top and then peel another can, triple it up, maybe 18 inches long, and have toilet paper roll it up and turn it into like a burner. I was definitely hidden. They would come in, conduct a shakedown, and get the pot, get the can and everything else, and then write you up. I kind of enjoyed the thrill of going outside the box a little bit, making candy, and then giving it away, you know. Especially the guys on death row, because I just wanted them to have something that they hadn't had in a long time. Good afternoon, this is KLSP 91.7 FM on your radio dial. And we broadcast daily from the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. I'd like to take this opportunity to wish all of the brothers up on dead roll a very beautiful day. And I tell you what... King was released in 2001. On the very first day he's released, he's making candy. He was sitting there just stirring, stirring real slowly. Sugar candy. Freelines is what he calls them. I call them freelines. I mean, I wanted them to rhyme with pralines. When I first got out, I went in the French quarters and I went through every candy shop and I thought I could do better. Having what I say, I guess, perfected a candy while I was in prison. He uses it for a fundraiser. When he goes to events, political organizing events, a lot of times he'll bring some candy. And, and so that's kind of been the way that he's made some pocket change, which has been really important to him because after 30 years in solitary confinement, 
it's not that easy to just go out and get a regular job. My name is Ann Harkness. I'm an activist and have been King's pecan supplier pretty much since he got out of prison. Everywhere he goes, he'll just bust out in some candy making. My name is Malik Rahim, co-founder of Common Ground Relief and resident of uh, New Orleans in the community of Algiers. King and I was raised together. His backyard was uh, adjacent to my backyard. Free liens is something that he's doing to subsidize his income. That's the only option that really he had is by making candy. On his wrapper is not just no uh, logo of King. It's Free Dan Gola Three about his two comrades that are still incarcerated. He always looked at that injustice. His kitchen will reflect it. At least it is full of debris. It is some of the dirtiest toxic soup you can imagine. Reporting in New Orleans, I'm it was a few days before Katrina. I had made a batch of candy. That was the last time. I could have went to the Superdome, but there was no place to keep a dog. Kenya, it's the name of my dog. I got her when she fit in the palm of my hand, you know. So I elected to hold tight. There were some people who came by in boats. We exchanged food. I gave most of the candy away. There were dogs screaming who had been locked up in houses. My neighbor next door I had to break in the house. But I sealed it back up. I had to go in there and feed her dogs. She had two of them, and I had to fight them to feed them. You know, and I had been in the water twice to save two birds whose wings had gotten wet. I was hearing about so much death and devastation that was going on around me. I felt imperative that I save a life. I think I cried more in those 16 days that I was in the house after Katrina than I did in 31 years I did in prison. It not only took so much away from me as an individual, it replicated this hundreds of thousands of times. I think candy is, is a collateral. My doing what I'm doing, keeping focus on the injustices that were taking place in Angola, if doing so by cooking, making candy, open up kitchen, can produce money to aid them, so be it. Maybe that's, that's my calling. This is Hearing Voices, and that was the story of Robert King Wilkerson's Candy, which may or may not be a true story. Right after it aired, the Kitchen Sisters got a call from the assistant warden at Angola Prison who said, No way, uh-uh. There is no way a prisoner in solitary confinement gets to play with fire and sugar. Doesn't happen. But if you really want to know about cooking here in Angola, come on down to the rodeo. The rodeo here is different from anywhere in the world, believe that. They'll challenge those bulls like they're challenging a natural man. This rodeo idea started about 1964. The employees and inmates backing up pickup trucks in a field, and they would go out there and play around on the horses. Now the arena seats over 10,000. Back at the sack, get hungry, come back. I'm Kathy Fontenot, assistant warden at the Louisiana State Penitentiary, better known as Angola. We have about 43 inmate organizations that sell everything you'd expect to find in Louisiana, like cracklings and fried pickles and gumbo. It really is a festive atmosphere. It's almost like you're walking through a midway. The only thing is you realize that these are murders, robbers, and rapists. The next to us is Pentecostal Fellowship. My name is Reverend A.J. They sell um, crawfish atouffee, and they also sell chicken on a stick, which is a very big seller. It's just a little um, desk that you would walk up to and place your order, and there's an inmate right there taking your order. Of course, the inmates can't handle any uh, money, any currency, so there's a free person, a, a, an off-duty correctional officer, who's taking your money. We're making chicken on a stick with mushroom and onions. They sell like hotcakes. My name is Franklin Green. 
I've been here going on 24 years. I was sentenced to life on drug charge. Since I come here, I've given my life to the law. We have a saying in Angola that you can be in Angola, but Angola don't have to be in you. Angola is legend to have been a name that they got from an area where slaves had originally been sent from Angola, Africa. The prison was a tobacco and cotton plantation and then became a slave breeding ground. It's an agricultural prison. We still do cotton and we handpick corn, rolling green pastures. 18,000 acres, you could fit Manhattan inside of it. I'm Burl Kane. I'm the warden here at Louisiana State Penitentiary. All the inmate clubs and organizations have the concessions, boot hand ball, shrimp on the stick, sausage poor boy, and those crawfish we raise in the pond. And we have frog legs we catch out of the pond. And so we don't buy any of this stuff. It's all Angola. It's all inmates. This is the tornado potato. It's more fascinating to watch than it is to really eat. I'm Donald Harvey Valera. I've been down 22 years, and I have a life sentence. A guy had a baseball bat, I had a pistol. And, well... The pistol one. I was a former professional jockey. I'm a boxer now, an inmate. That's me. What's left of me? The name is Samuel Starks. The concession is snow cone and popcorn. Life is association. Men that are serving life sentences. Right now, life is in Louisiana. Do not have a parole eligibility. I've been here 40 years. I'm here for rape. Angola is a lifer's prison. It's a prison where people come to stay. It's sometimes referred to as the Alcatraz of the South because of its all-natural borders. We're inside the rodeo arena. Rodeo is traditional to America as apple pie. It's definitely the wildest show in the South. Up here, anything goes. So you just hang on for eight seconds. Most guys never seen an animal before, and they ride. Well, you got a bull that comes out there, you get the token off his head and pick up $100. $100 is a lot of money in a place where you get four cents an hour. You know, I'll rodeo, you're going to have an injury. Yeah, now, don't worry about him. Get my boy too. I'm their daddy. They didn't have one, and I don't want to see him hurt. It's not gladiator. My name is Israel Ducre. I had enough of it. Bulls broke my leg. I have a rod in my leg. My mom, she worried every time I ride. I gave it up for her, really. I promised her that, you know, once I won it, the 2003 rodeo, I would give it up. My name is Ricky Westfall, and I'm from North Louisiana. And I've been here for 28 years. Around my house, if you didn't know how to cook, you was in trouble. And I can cook basically anything. My mama taught me how to do that, and I give her credit for it. I was the only person in my family out of six children that ever got arrested. I'm the only person in, in the Westfall family that's ever been arrested. I was going with a girl, and uh, she and I had an argument, a fight, and uh, I didn't kill her, uh, but they, they arrested me for kidnapping. So that's why I'm here. I've got a license. All right. One potato, two potatoes, three potatoes, three potatoes, four potatoes, your potato, potato, potato. My name's Clyde. Dwayne Richard. I am known as the Angola's potato man. Taking a big old potato and chopping it down the middle and smudging it down with butter, crawfish, shrimp, then the boudin. You got things here that you can't find in society. Yeah, I'm from North Louisiana. My plan is to open a potato shack. And I think I have my family is going to help me. My mom and my wife. At the time of the hurricane, I really felt like much of our culture in terms of our food and our music would be lost as we had that first rodeo just two months after Katrina and Rita struck. The smells, the taste were still alive at Angola through this wild rodeo show. It's ironic that the inmates are preserving culture from prison. So much of our culture had not been lost because so much of our culture happens to be in a maximum security prison.
That's Cassandra Wilson singing. You can find more kitchen tales at hiddenkitchens.org. I'm Larry Massett. More links and, as always, free food on our website, hearingvoices.com. Hearing Voices is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people, and the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. Our producers are Scott Carrier, Anne Hepperman, Larry Massett, and Kara Oler. Our intern is Max Darham. Mix engineer is Robin Wise of soundimagery.com. Executive producer is Barrett Golding. From NPR, National Public Radio, this is hearingvoices.com. <laughs>